Two people, two books, the worst books, reading it, words, chapters, pages, books have it all. Welcome to Bibliovile, when a wife and her husband, a husband and his wife, get each other the worst books they can find. On this episode of Bibliovile, I read Blood and Silver by James R. Tuck, and Mick read Never Trust a Liberal Over Three, Especially a Republican, by Ann Coulter. Welcome to Bibliovile! Another episode, another couple books, and another ulcer in my stomach. My name is Mick (laughs) Dickinson. I am here to complain at you. And I am Susan Dickinson, and I am here to gloat over the fact that I picked the worst book this week. Yes, you've picked the worst book written by the worst human (laughs) about the worst things. Susan wins forever. Susan wins forever. Yeah, well, let's just wait one week. What we need to start off with is maybe some introduction. Uh, This is Bibliovile. We, as a husband and wife team... Go to the Iowa City Public Library, check each other out, the worst books we can find in the library. We do not talk about them at all until now, and then we get to spew all of that venom out into the world and just relieve ourselves like so many uh, drunk men on a bar wall. It's honestly really cathartic, like getting to read a really awful, terrible book and then just be angry about it for like 30 minutes. It's relieves a lot of tension and stress it does indeed it's like it's like those uh videos on instagram that keep popping up where it thinks i want to see all those the zits being popped Ew, gross. yeah it's it's totally gross and i i don't totally gross. i definitely don't seek them out at all anyway um <clears throat> speaking of totally gross we had a fun shopping adventure earlier this week um mick had some trouble with some impulse buying what adult that guy is adult and a dingus of the highest degree okay but not only impulse buying but impulse buying at the grocery store well yeah who impulse buys at the grocery store fun men who are supported by their wives every step of the way yeah you know you were we're cruising through the produce section the v at the v the high v and we we pass by like one of the little end caps where they put the random things that they're really hoping people will choose to buy on impulse, and we pass by this thing that, honest to God, looks like a dinosaur egg. Like Daenerys Targaryen is going to come out of a fire wielding it. Yeah, I like. There's I can't think of a way to describe it other than it looks like a dragon or dinosaur egg. It is spiky and large as Sue's torso. And Mick's reaction to this was. I hate this, and I have to buy it. And there was, like, no preceding information as to what it was. It is just large, in charge, spiky, and awful-looking. And I'm like, I'm spiky and (laughs) awful-looking. I felt, like, a kinship to it, and I picked it up, and it hurt. Because of the spikinesses, and the fact that it weighed 15 pounds, I laid it front up. So he puts it in our cart, and we get to the checkout, and... People are, like, looking at us askance, like, what is this thing in your grocery cart? And the checkout girl was like... said, hey, don't talk to me like that. And the checkout girl was like, oh, this is a jackfruit. And I'm like, that's good to know. Hey, you don't call me that. apparently we're buying it. Don't call me no jackfruit. 
And then we ran into a problem because we she had already scanned all of the rest of our groceries. And she was trying to scan the jackfruit, as we had learned that it was called. And uh, she she didn't have a code for it. Like, you know how you, you weigh the, the fruit and the then you, you put it, you put the code four, in and then it tells you how much nine. it costs. Yeah. So she couldn't find the code for a jackfruit. So we went through like a whole, how long do you think it took? At least five agonizing minutes. Yeah. So we went through this whole like painfully long process. And but, every which by minute, the way, I hate to interrupt you, but during this painfully long process, I am saying, ha 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 ha, no, like we don't have to do this. You don't have to take this time. There's people behind us and I don't really want this that bad. Anyways, please stop. Yeah, but after you've spent five minutes waiting in line for someone to go price check an item, you're sort of committed to buying it. Pretty committed. Um, and so committed, in fact, that when we found out that it cost a dollar ninety nine a pound, a pound, and it weighed fifteen pounds, we were stuck. Well, like, yeah, you were stuck. After waiting that long, you can't be like, just kidding, I don't want this thing that I held up the whole line in aisle 15 for. Despite my best efforts. So, I paid $30 <laughs> for a diseased testicle, uh, and then I got the glare of death coming from Sue as we got home, and she goes, well, you're going to have to find out what this is, because we just spent $30 on it. And we're going to have to have a talk about impulse buying. And I said, we're going to have to have a talk about you laughing while I do stupid stuff. Because <laughs> you should be standing there telling me, don't do this stupid stuff. So not only did Mick spend $30 on this jackfruit, he also spent a solid 90 minutes. More like four hours. Eh, maybe more than 90 minutes. Yeah. A long time. Like... A, Googling this stupid thing to figure out what we had just purchased and what we were going to do with it. And then, like, dicing it up and, and cutting out all the little, like, fruit pods yeah. from it and figuring out how to cook them. So, I didn't even know if you could eat it raw. Like, I didn't know. It's quite possible that it had been poisonous or that I was allergic to it. I don't think they would have sold it if it was poisonous. Like, uncooked. Oh, Chicken's technically That's poisonous true. if it's uncooked. But so I'm Googling that, and it's like, it's basically a pineapple. You just have to cut it in the in half and then core it. I assume that's how pineapple work. That's how pineapple work. <laughs> that's uh, how English works, too. Yes. Uh, you core it in the middle, but the fruit comes in little pods. And, like, between the pods are, like, these weird little strands of, I, they call them, like, naturally occurring latex. But I don't think that's actually what they are, because latex is, like, a plastic. Um, but it's very, very extraordinarily sticky sticky and uh, uh it's awful to get all over your fingers oh yeah it leaves like yellow stains everywhere like i still have yellow stains under my fingernails from last weekend yeah we had to do laundry on the dish towels because i kept having to wash my hands of the stickiness and leaving yellow anywhere Every, uh everywhere anyway you have to get the seeds out of the pods of fruit so you have to them out with your thumb and then you have to like remove the little seed pod pod that makes, makes it taste gross from each individual pod of fruit. And so it's all very self-contained. And frankly, I feel honored be, uh, because that's apparently the next, like, super fruit that's going to solve world hunger. Because it's incredibly... Uh, I've been saying nutrient-dense uh, to hide the fact that I actually mean calorie-dense. Uh, but it tastes basically, if you're wondering, like a meaty pineapple. You know how pineapple are, like, uh, woody? 
Tastes more like a meaty version of a pineapple. And it, it tastes good, which I was incredibly relieved to discover <laughs> after we had spent a yeah, whole day we, of our lives and $30 of our income on and it. And two days of our apartment's smell. Yeah, our, our whole apartment still kind of smells like jackfruit. A little bit. But you, Nick had, like, deep-fried it and, and made, like, deep-fried jackfruit, which was super good. Um, we've eaten it raw he baked some of it i made some in the curry for dinner which was super good i feel like bubba with his shrimp yeah so i mean it all ended fine and then we had a nice conversation last night at dinner about impulse buying yeah you know all this put together i just feel i feel like a total jackfruit (laughs) you know what's gonna make you feel better honey what's that telling me about your book nope um ann coulter who wrote never trust a liberal over three especially a republican uh is and i don't use this term lightly the worst but first i want to talk about the title never trust a liberal over three especially a republican number one what's with conservatives and way too long book titles there's a book title by a man named todd starnes and it said they checked my engine and found gravy on the dipstick well, there's one, Dispatches from Bitter America, a gun-toting, chicken-eating, son-of-a-Baptist culture war stories, which doesn't make even grammatical sense, and They Popped My Hood and Found Gravy on the Dipstick, which has a picture of a dipstick naturally covered in gravy, and what I can only uh, delightfully call grandpa shoes, like some New Balances, uh, filled with gravy. And so something, something with uh, conservatives and incredibly long book titles... Um, I feel a little bit self-guilty about this book pick for me, because be honest, Susan, you've picked for me, uh, Trump, mm-hmm. a Trump book that was not terrible because he wasn't talking about politics. He and to, he didn't write it. And he didn't write it. He has never written a book. And also now, uh, Never Trust a Liberal Over Three, Especially Republican, by Ann Coulter. Is this directly related to me getting you obama's america oh so long ago no i don't think it is i i've been wanting to break i felt like i was getting in a rut with tbe like i had got i had gotten you several like food related mysteries i just felt like i was doing the same thing over and over again like a lot of romances yeah well and i really wanted to, to break the mold and so I wandered upstairs, so typically when we go to the library to pick out TBE books, we, we drive together, but we were um, we were coming from different places, so we just met at the library, and I got there probably about 10 to 15 minutes before Mick did. Yeah. And uh, so I had time to wander around, and I decided to go upstairs and look in nonfiction, and I was looking pretty heavily <laughs> at the autobiography of a former bachelorette. And oh, I was, Jesus. I was gonna pick that one. Probably would have been better. It, I, I mean, I shouldn't have told you that. I think I might still hold that on reserve for a future date. But then I was wandering through, and I stumbled upon the politics section, and I wanted to find something. I, and at that point, I was thinking about the Dinesh D'Souza book, and I was like, oh, I wonder if I could find something worse. And then I saw on the names of the authors, Coulter, comma, Anne, and I knew that I had found it, and I actually deliberated for probably five solid minutes between this book and another book that was about mob mentality and how any 
um, instance of mob violence in America, including the KKK, can be traced back to the Democratic National Party. Yes, so we'll talk about that because that's the time. That's about the time when I started taking up three quarters of a page with my capitalization writing uh, because I was so angry. But you know, I got you Obama's America, which wasn't nice of me because that's bad and it's yeah. wrong. But at least Obama's America wasn't trying to be funny. Which is what Ann Coulter is supposedly trying to do. She's not funny. All of the quotes on the back of, her, of the book are hers. Oh, no. There's not a single critic quote everywhere, which I think seems metaphorically apt. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds about right. You know, I'm not going to listen to what anyone else says. I'm just going to keep spouting my talking points. Um, I would be sorry if you're a fan of Ann Coulter and listening to the show, but chances are, if that's true, I really, like, legitimately... And truly don't like you and cannot wait for you to not be around anymore. Like, that sounds dramatic and wrong. But, dog, I gotta tell you, go away, please. Um, Because as I was reading this book, I just had to come to the conclusion, like, I'm gonna have to overlook so many things for space, time, and my own sanity. Because yeah. there'd be times you'd be reading and you're like, that's not, that's obviously not true. And you start arguing in your head, and you're like, oh, Christ, I'm thinking about this book. And you're like, it's not even worth it, despite the person who wrote in a library book. Who writes in a library book? The people who agree with Ann Coulter, that's who write in a library book. Uh, within two pages of this book, she has likened gun control to rape and a decrease in the crime rate to the Holocaust. Oh, yeah, um, okay. I didn't start counting until about a third of the way into the book, and from what I had skimmed, I skimmed because we'll talk about it, there were ten comparisons to Nazis, and uh, five references to rape slash sexual abuse, in a quote-unquote joking manner. I just want to throw that out there, that that's not a topic that you should joke about, nor should you compare other things to that lightly. Like, just some solid life advice for our six listeners that are out there. Yeah, um, I felt like I needed a stamp that I could just stamp on my notebook that just said Reagan raised taxes net, um, because that gets brought up a lot, uh, but that's just too far. She still supports the Iraq War in 2013, uh, when, like, I, I try to stick away from echo chambers, but I am human, so, you know, my Twitter and is full of people I agree with and mm -hmm. all sorts of things. But I think it's pretty much the climate of the country that we are okay with admitting that the Iraq War was questionable at best. And she's, in 2013, still sticking to it and getting mad at the people who aren't. And claims are just spat out like angry loogies onto a child's head which i fully believe ann coulter has done and frankly i'm going to say yes just for true fact um there's absolutely no respect for ideology over party that's an important distinction in a lot of ways and we'll get to the most important way in a little bit but she pitches nixon as far right as ronald reagan because they're both republicans which, as a man who leans left, pretty obviously from this book review, that's not true at all. That Nixon is part of the what they call the FDR regime, where up until Carter's uh, fall from grace, thanks to Nixon's shittiness and ruining of the public's trust in the uh, American government, 
like all politicians were widely liberal because FDR started this trend of like, or like you got to be liberal, and like even the Republicans were more to the left of what we now imagine the center to be, which started after uh, Herbert Hoover, the most understood Iowan in history, uh, fudged up the goodwill from oh who's the last one Lincoln. Lincoln's uh, whole thing went as far as Hoover, and then that ended, and FDR brought up the new one. Anyway, I'm getting into actual political science, unlike Ann Coulter, who thinks that party is the exact same as the way you actually think and do. Uh, any news that's not Fox News is not only like, don't watch it, you guys. Any news that is not Fox News is the enemy. Oh, my goodness. As I was reading this book, my stomach hurt. Because I could feel my soul balling up into an angry cartoon face getting punched in its only face. You know, that's <clears throat> that's true. I actually would, like, look over at the couch periodically and Mick would just be staring straight ahead with this dead look in his face. Just staring off into nothing. There's, like, if we could harness the power, like, hook up a turbine turbine to the creation of straw men then ann coulter would be our only needed <laughs> natural resource she creates straw men like the bp spill creates oil into our oceans with just as much trouble for our actual earth um she's just there's times when there's uh outward racism as opposed to like dog whistling racism like dog whistling racism. All right, she calls him B. Hussein Obama, which there's absolutely no reason to do at any point in time unless you're trying to get people mad at the fact that sometimes people have different kinds of names. But then there's like out and out racism. Like this quote that I'm about to read, and I can't stand that I have to spend one more second reading this book. But this is the most out and out racist thing I've heard this without using racial epithets or like saying that one race is lesser. After the Goldwater debacle in 1964, we, which first of all, you weren't there, you weren't born yet, got the full flowering of Lyndon Johnson's pernicious Great Society programs, responsible for destroying the back, black family. We got Teddy's immigration law banning European immigrants and replacing them with a million immigrants a year from the third world. That's pegged as, like, worse. Right. Yeah. So I have a question: What do immigrants from the from Europe having have not in common with immigrants from the third world? Mm, gonna go ahead and go with race. Race. That's about it. Um, most immigrants from Europe, if they if they're the type of immigrants that were coming uh, earlier, probably would not speak perfect English. Um, probably did not know American customs, which I'm fine with as a person, you know, and a person who understands that there's more in the world than me. But third world countries being like this, ugh, can you believe it, is just out and out racism. Um, she also is, I think, a birther? I'm not even sure, but one of her articles... Oh, yeah. This book is not a book. It's a collection of articles. So there's absolutely no through line to anything. You just have to get keep, keep getting slapped in the face with this right-wing salmon. Because that's all she is. Uh, one of the titles of her article is Obama birth certificate spotted in bogus moon landing footage. Oh, great. She's a birther and a conspiracy nut. This is the one time in America's history where America has, like, succeeded 
in a conservative sense. We beat the Soviets to the moon. And you're going to talk about it not being real. Fantastic. Um, there are some great things about uh, that get brought up into uh, the current political election. And that's when she talks about... Uh, the terribleness of most Republican candidates, unironically at the time, and then now we get the uh, the great sense to look backwards. Uh, the Republic. This is quote: The Republican Party has no natural defense mechanism against charlatans and saboteurs because politics is not what Republicans think about every second. Democrats love government. They spend their lives trying to maneuver themselves into a position to run other people's lives. Republicans don't want careers in government and give little thought to how to get there. Which. First of all. Yeah. That's pretty obviously not true, but whatever. Often they run for president only because they hope it will lead to more speaking gigs and TV appearances. She is as a good thing? She's marketing that as a good thing? I suppose. Well, she's marketing it as the why Republicans lose. Um, Which uh, is hilarious because now she's one of the strongest Trump supporters there is. Unfortunately, this is all irrelevant. This is a different quote. Unfortunately, this is all irrelevant to a passionate few because for them, it's not about getting the best candidate elected. It's about their self-image as diehard conservatives. The devoted supporters of these stunned candidates are generally people who got interested in politics five minutes ago. A year later, they won't be paying attention. Oh yeah, that was a bad idea. Anyway, I'm out of here, she says as them. The more you try to talk them out of hitching their wags to a charlatan, the more they're convinced of his greatness. Don't be bringing my books... Don't be bringing me your books and your articles. He killed in that debate. You're just part of the establishment. That's great. That's really rich. That was the only part of this book I really enjoyed was seeing yeah. her like have to eat crow. Um, if There's a different quote. If all you want to do is lob rhetorical bombs at Obama and then lose, Newt Gingrich, like recent favorite Donald Trump, is your candidate. <laughs> now she is a Trump supporter. Continuing on with a different quote and hitting the microphone with my page. If there ever comes a time when Republican presidential candidates have to get the blessing of the head of the birther movement, I'll say I'm wrong. Republicans do have as many conspiracy nuts as the Democrats. Currently, the head of the Republican uh, candidacy for president is the source of the birther conspiracy. Uh, Democratic National President Wesley Clark proudly accepted Michael Moore's endorsement in 2004, which who hears about Wesley Clark anymore? This is really I funny. Know who that is. Yeah, this is really funny uh, because it most of these uh, articles are from years ago, uh, and she puts these scandals out here like they're the biggest deal in the world, or like they're being ignored, or they're being blown up too much, and then you like they have not stuck in history's mind at yeah. all, and so it's like obviously it was never a big deal, and you just didn't have shit else shit else to write about. Uh, she goes on to say. <clears throat> What is the likelihood that a birther will be sitting with former President Bush at the 2012 Republican National Convention? Uh, not great, but the chance that a tw- in the 2016 presidential election, a the birther is like uh, your party's the candidate. Yeah, your yeah. party's candidate is apparently pretty good, uh, and you support him. So <clears throat> it's pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Uh, I oh. Some other quotes, which made me want to just be done with it all, was, I thought we were fighting to keep Muslims away from our skyscrapers when talking about the Ground Zero mosque. I can't even respond to that. Uh, I can't. I don't know how to. 
she plugged her other books in this book. The one thing I can say is that I applied for an absentee ballot because I will be working during election day because I, I teach in a different place in the state. And so I'm, I spend most of my day away from the, uh, like my hometown. Uh, so I would not be able to get back to my voting place in time. I applied to an, for an absentee ballot while I was reading this book. And the only thing that made me happy was the fact that my voice counts as much as Ann Coulter's. That my vote, uh, one-to-one, will cancel out what she says. Um, so I am a 24-year-old millennial liberal uh, that is a public service uh, employee. I work for the state government. Uh, I am everything she hates, except that I'm white. She does enjoy that. Mm. Um, and I get to cancel out her vote. So if even one more person votes uh, my way than hers, then I have uh, cancel out her, which feels pretty great. Um, one final thing, because I can't make this funny. I'm sorry. It's a comedy <laughs> podcast, and I can't do it. It's whatever. Do you think she connects slavery and the KKK, you know, the Democratic Party from 1860 to the modern Democratic Party? You bet. I bet she, she does. does indeed. She said it, it is the uh, – we should still hold Democrats uh, liable for that. Um, she also maintains that uh, Eisenhower's civil rights bill, which was shot down uh, since Eisenhower was a Republican, uh, proves that Republicans are the true non-racist, and LBJ's civil rights bill, which was supported uh, by Democrats, is more racist because um, of reasons. Ignoring the past 60 fucking years of just extraordinarily clear political science, when as soon as a Democrat started running on policies of civil rights, when JFK ran as a Catholic and when as LBJ continued policies of passing civil rights bills, including the Voting Rights Act and several other uh, voting rights uh, bills and civil rights bills, the South immediately began voting uh, Republican in response, shouting down his attempts uh, to calm the situation. But since uh, Eisenhower marched troops into Little Rock, which had a Democratic governor at the time then that means uh, it was the Democratic Party that was wrong. And frankly, you know what? I don't. The Republican Party is not wrong either. It's the shitty people who are racist that are wrong. Yeah, don't be racist, friends. In fact, like, be actively anti-racist. Yes. That's, that's the problem. It is. That's the problem. It's not what color your banners are. It's that shitty people are shitty and support a shitty person throughout history. And shitty people are the reason that things are shitty. Shit, 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 this book sucks and is awful, and Ann Coulter is the worst person. I feel like I owe you an apology. Like, I thought this was going to be funny, and I think it has caused you, like, not only mental but also like psychological spiritual and physical pain i've been a less happy person while i've been reading this book i feel really bad i'm sorry it's okay do you accept my apology i do accept your apology now let's throw it to dave matthews first quick commercial let's please never do that again actually okay we're even for that then so moving on to your book 
Gun, you know, germs, and steel. Oh, I'm sorry. Blood and Silver. Blood and Silver by James R. Tuck. I gotta give it to you, Dickinson. This was, like, the quintessential TV ebook. Mm. Like, it was bad, but in a really good way. I read it in three days, and I never once wanted to throw it across the room. But I did put it down and go, like, what is happening? At least twice. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's that's a solid, like, this is... This is what we're looking for in this podcast. This was good stuff. Thank you. Yeah, you did good, Dickinson. Well, I married you. Yeah. No. So, um, Blood and Silver is the second book. Is it a pirate book? No, it's no. not. It's the second book in a series. And I took some, like, basic notes about the plot. And I want to cover those with you. What's it like having a plot? So... Blood and Silver is a Deacon Chalk occult bounty hunter novel. Wow. Now that is an Amazon recommendation. And in this book, Deacon Chalk saves a pregnant were-dog who is being beaten by a group of lycanthropes because I cannot go an episode of this book without reading about shifters. I can't. What's the difference between a were-dog and a lycanthrope? There isn't one, just semantics. Oh. So. Wait, when a when a were dog gets pregnant, does it have a litter, or does it have one? Well, she's baby? having triplets. So I so guess a, so. A litter, yeah. Um, except she got pregnant by a lycanthrope of a different species, so that gets tricky. But like, I'll get to that. Like a. <clears throat> like a were lion. So, Deacon saves a pregnant were-dog who's being beaten by a group of lycanthropes. A different group of lycanthropes tries to take the dog, whose name is Sophia, from Deacon, and Deacon kills one of them, and then a third group of lycanthropes asks (laughs) asks Deacon to protect a member of the second group of lycanthropes from the first group of lycanthropes. And then Deacon and the third group of lycanthropes go to rescue Marcus, who's the leader of the uh, who's the leader of the second group from the first group, which is led by Marcus's brother, Leonidas. And there's also a guy in there, randomly, whose name is the Lord of the Forest, and he dies. Um, Deacon hates Marcus. A bunch of people get hurt, but Deacon heals them with his supernatural powers. Deacon got his supernatural powers because in the first book, he died and was resurrected after receiving a blood transfusion from an angel of the Lord. Oh, angels have blood. How nice. An angel of the Lord. Wait, please tell me that, like, the last the last line in the book is, like, uh, Max put his hand on Deacon's shoulder and said, Forget it, Deacon. It's Lycanthrope Town. <laughs> I'm gonna, because I feel so bad about Ann Coulter, I'm going to let you believe that that's how it begins. Good. Good. Um, so continuing with our plot, um, <laughs> quote unquote. Deacon has sex with a girl named Tiff. Nice. We learn that Marcus, who's from the second group of lycanthropes, is the one that got Sophia pregnant, and so now we hate him even more than we originally hated him. Um, does the woman, does he and Tiff get in a small fight? <laughs> Do they get in a Tiff? He gets in a Tiff. <laughs> um, so then a family named the Coopers is killed. 
Um, Shawnee, who is Marcus's mate, is the one who got Leonidas to go after Sophia because she told Leonidas that Sophia was pregnant with Marcus's babies. And then she runs away, and then there's a battle scene. And in the middle of the battle scene, there's this dude that we've never seen before. And he was like, I'm going to make things difficult for you, Deacon Chalk. And then he shifts into a T-Rex. Holy shit. What? We've never seen this guy before. We've never seen him before. We don't know his name. We never find out his name. He appears out of nowhere. He turns into a T-Rex. They kill him within three pages, and then they never talk about him again, except that one of Deacon's friends takes the T-Rex skin and makes Deacon a pair of T-Rex boots. Banana, womp, womp, banana, womp, womp. It was amazing. Banana, boom, 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 <laughs> Wow! And then a bunch more people die. Deacon kills Marcus oh, Jesus. and Leonidas, and He's we so think he kills Shawnee, but he doesn't actually kill Shawnee. He just tranquilizes her and then brings her to a zoo because he has made it so that she cannot shift back to a human. She's just a lion all the time. And then he gives her to the zoo. And then he goes and visits her at the zoo and, like, tap, tap, taps on the cage. And it's like, what up? Is that supposed to be, like, that's retribution, right? Yeah. Oh, good, because that sounds awful. No, that's retribution. So that's the plot of this book. Um... Like, parts of it are just insane. Parts of it? Some of it, I have to admit, like, for a terrible book exchange book, some of it is actually fairly well written. Like, there's a sex scene in it. There's nice. only one sex scene. Um, when he gets Deacon in the tiff. tiff. When he gets in the tiff. And <laughs> so I was expecting it to be... Oh, voice cracker. Me! Um, so this book is, like, really heavy on the guns and the tattoos and it's set in the south, and, like, it's very, like, he's supposed to be, like, this super badass who kills all these monsters, and he drives this, um, like, really old, like, crazy car, like, awesome, cool, like, tough guy car. An Impala. Yeah, an Impala, like, mine. Um, and so, like, I, I, when the sex scene started, I was like, this is gonna be gross. Because I felt like the book was pandering to a very particular type of person. A choosers of the slain. Yeah, I was expecting it to be a choosers of the slain style sex scene. And instead, there was not a single explicit word. Nothing was graphic. The sex scene was done entirely in metaphors. And, like, like, don't get me wrong, it was bad. The writing was really, really bad. <laughs> it's like the literary literary equivalent of when they would like start making out yeah. in a TV show and it'd pan over to the fireplace and, yep. then, and then suddenly it would cut to a, a train entering a tunnel and a hot dog being put in a bun. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like that's what it was. And so like it is bad. Like the writing is bad. No way. But No way. No, it really was. Oh but like at the same time I was expecting gosh. something like really like crass and crude and like that would make me uncomfortable and it was like it was trying really hard to be poetic and so it was like lame and and cringeworthy like me but it was pretty i mean like it was way better than i was expecting out of a sex scene in a book like this do you have any of the metaphors um i'm sure i could find it it's in chapter 21 let me know chapters are in this book 40 
40 chapters in this book. Well, once you get chapter one, you'll stay. Or you'll see Yeah. Hey, don't read chapter one too fast or you'll bust. I don't get it. Because it's a sex scene and a blackjack joke. Oh. A blackjack off joke. A thrill tightened the back of my neck as we kissed. Tongue seeking, searching. A spark of desire shot through me, cutting through my chest. Hunger for her boiled up through me and I couldn't get enough. Like, it's just stuff like that. Like, it just keeps going. Um, pleasure washed my mind empty. I couldn't think I could only feel. Skin fevered and sensitive everywhere we touched. The pleasure rode us, driving hard. Too much need for hesitation. The pleasure rode you. The maelstrom carried us to the top of the mountain and threw us off the edge. Like, it's lame. Notice there was no female strum. But it's not gross, and so I'm really pleased with that. Um, I will say, though, so, like, you know how I complain often in these books that, like, the author will go on random tangents, often in the middle of, like, rising action or battle Mm -hmm. scenes? So there's a certain extent of that in this book, and a lot of times it's, it's explanation of things that happened in the first book dropped in in places where they don't really belong. Um, but there's one of these tangents that is amazing. So Deacon and his, like, co-conspirators, like, the people that he's friends with that, like, go into battle with him against monsters, um, they're, like, sitting down and they're having basically, like, a battle meeting. Like, they're going to talk strategy. And then he goes on this, like, three-quarter page rant. Like, it's literally, like, a soliloquy about <laughs> vegetable pizza and how, like, there's this restaurant in town that makes the best veggie pizza and that it has, like, he's a veggie guy and he likes his pizza to be full of fresh vegetables but no hot peppers and they just talk about veggie pizza Does anybody... for almost an entire page and it's amazing. Do they call him on it? No, he's not talking about it. It's just, like, his thoughts. Oh, like, there's an exposition break to talk about veggie So you're pizza. saying during chapter number 47,000, James R. Tuck had just ordered a pizza. I mean, probably. And felt about it. Probably. Um, another, so this was another weird thing. So this is an example of good writing and bad writing simultaneously. Mm. So there's a scene in the in the book where Deacon goes, he, like, receives a tip from... Um, people that he knows that there's this family that hasn't been heard from in a while. Like the people who know this family think that something is wrong. And so he goes to check on their house and the whole chapter is written really well. Like as a standalone short story, I think it would have been phenomenal. Like he goes in and he's checking out the whole house and like he keeps seeing things that just seem a little off. Like the baby's pacifier in the kitchen sink there's a, a Barbie doll that is just, like, thrown on the floor, but there's no toys around. And, like, I don't know, just, like, a couple things that makes him feel like something is off. And so he gets this rising sense that he's, like, he's going to see something bad, that something bad has happened to these people. And then he opens up a closet and he finds their bodies and they've been killed. And, like, the whole chapter is really, like, the, the author does a really good job of, like, building the suspense and, like, makes you... Like, you're, like, on the edge of your seat, like, what's going to happen? What's he going to find? And the chapter is really, really good. But at the same time, we have never heard of these people before. We (laughs) never hear about them again. We don't find out who killed them, what happened, (laughs) why they were killed. They're never mentioned again in the whole book. 
they are only ever mentioned in this one standalone chapter. And I'm like, brah, release this as a short story, dog, because the writing is great, yeah. but, like, is literally nothing to do with the book it's that just, you have written. Yeah, it's completely it unsevered from the yeah. rest of it. So, like, that was really weird and confusing. Or, I suppose, severed from the rest of it. Yeah. Um... But I do appreciate, though, that he gave a lot of detail about how shifting works, because in literally every other shifting book that I've read, it's never explained. So, like, we know how shifters interact with the rest of society. We know... Are they know secret? They are secret. There are a handful of people that know about them that are working to keep them secret from the rest of the world. Nice. Most shifters are born, but you can catch lycanthropy, like a disease. Like, if you're exposed to, to blood, lycanthropy... Um, if you're exposed to, like, the blood of a shifter, you can catch it. Thanks, Pete. And if you get it, um, as an adult, your first time shifting will probably kill you. And, like, it gives a lot of details, so I'm actually like, oh, I, yeah, like, I a, sort of understand how this relief. universe yeah. works. Like, that's Take fine. that, bear meets girl. Right? More Which like vague meets terrible. awful. Um, so, parts of it were, like, surprisingly good. But then there was, like, a T-Rex for no reason. And then also... so It's like a level boss. So one of the characters in the book is a Catholic priest named Father Mulcahy. And there's another weird thing about this book is, like, there's a weird Jesus-y tint to it. Mm. So, like, Deacon is... Like, he... His whole family was killed, and he basically... Well, his name like, is Deacon. He wants his life to end end and so that's why he started this career of going after monsters because he is like really deeply religious and he believes that it is a mortal sin to commit suicide and that if he kills himself he won't be reunited with his family so he instead picked this super dangerous career and like legit wants to die Mm. um and then there's this priest and so like there's this weird religious spin to it that i didn't really get um but that's fine i mean yeah deacon deacon i mean blood and silver Oh. As in, like, the 40 pieces of silver. I thought you were talking about, like, the character's name, Deacon. Oh, that makes sense, too. Yeah. So, yeah, like, this book is insane, but, like, it is at least... It was at least an enjoyable kind of insane for me to read. Nice. I am jealous. I had a good time reading it. Good. It was real weird, though. It's a real weird book, but that's fine. I'll take it. (laughs) I... So, we are doing something special next week. We already oh. know what books we're reading. Uh, I am extraordinarily excited because if there's one thing TBE needs, it's uh, more bad books. So, we decided this is next episode will be our 10th episode of the podcast. Podcast. Uh, 10th episode of the podcast. Um, before we started the podcast, we had been writing blog posts for... A couple episodes before that, maybe three or four. And so we decided for our 10th episode, we wanted to do something a little special. And so we reached back through our... I mean, it's your 10th episode, after all. Our um, archives, I suppose, mm-hmm. of Bibliovile. And each of us picked the, the worst book that we've had to read for this project, and the other has to read it. So yes. the person who originally picked out the book is now having to read the book. Yes. Um, so that means that uh, Mick Dickinson, who could have been one and done in this project, has to read it. Choosers of the Slain, the uh, proto-future Kildar uh, anti-hero 
beer swilling, beer brewing, beer selling uh, man uh, is going to be a prominent feature in my next couple days. Whereas Susan Johnson uh, will not be reading Ann Coulter because I love her. (laughs) And I would rather prove a point because she maintains that she will be able to finish this book. I am reading the one, the only, the legendary Midnight Sins by Laura Lee. And I have committed to myself that I'm going to make it further into the book than Mick did, which means I have to make it through chapter five. No, you have to make it through 126 pages. Um, For reference, for those of you who have never read the blog posts, Choosers of the Slain is a throwback. This was actually the book that inspired this whole project. We were just at the library reading books like real people one time, and Mick found Choosers of the Slain and then came up with the idea for making me read this awful, horrible book. And if you would like to read my thoughts on Choosers of the Slain, you can find the original blog post. And many more. And many more. All of the blog posts that um, are companions to the podcast at opinionsandother.blogspot.com. That's Mick's personal blog. Um, And it is the worst book in all of existence. I actually, like, I have loved reading my whole life. And I think I very briefly hated reading after that book. Oh, it's good that it was briefly... It's so bad. Like, I... Seriously, though, I think next week, or whenever we record this podcast, next episode, you are going to acknowledge that it is the worst book in existence. Game on. It's... You don't even know yes, what you're I getting do. into. You yes, I don't do. even yes, know. I, do. I think if anyone underestimates the awfulness of books... But see, I think I have an ability that you have not demonstrated yet where I can just turn my brain off and just chug through no, a terrible book. That's why Midnight Sands is going to get you. Because if you turn your brain off, you just have no idea what's happening. And if you turn your brain on, you have no idea what's happening because <laughs> nothing is happening and it takes 100 pages. So basically what we're telling you, friends, is... The worst up, of the worst. Buckle Battle up Royale. the worst of the worst. It's going to be an exciting time. If you would like to... Um, read along with us. You can check out Choosers of the Slain by John Ringo. Ringo. And Midnight, Midnight Sins, Sins by, by Laura Lee. Lee. Jinx. And read along with us. And then, like, I don't know, email us or message us somehow. Comment on SoundCloud. Comment on SoundCloud or on iTunes your thought of the book, because that would be fun. I would like to inflict this pain on as many people as possible. Yeah, that's what I said when I started recording this podcast. But speaking of iTunes, uh, we are now on iTunes. You can go ahead and subscribe there. Uh, You can like or rate, I suppose, and subscribe and comment. That, like, pushes us up the popularity boards. Uh, I know that I hate being that douchey dude at the end of the youtube video hey guys if you could like and subscribe i'd really appreciate it but um if you could like and subscribe i'd i'd really appreciate it <laughs> you can also check us both out on twitter mick is at dickima that's d-i-c-k-i-m-a-a and i am at susan j um s three u's s-a-n-j on twitter uh our theme music for this podcast is babe of the night by the band elixir off of their album rampant i think i got it in one try thanks to sue's very excellent mouthing skills (laughs) uh that is all that we're going to do for tonight uh you're welcome for the shorter episode and i'm sorry for the much less funny episode but really 
We know who the villain is. Sue. It's all my fault. Mm-hmm. Well, Morgan, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We love having new listeners. Yay, new confirmed listeners. Woo-hoo! Good Have night. a good night, y'all.